This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Clarenville, Newfoundland, 1978. It was a bright evening under the light of a near full moon as Mr. and Mrs. Lethbridge, local residents of a neighborhood near Marine Drive, were walking home from a night of visiting with their friends down the street. They had had a few drinks, but had kept the evening relatively tame and had decided to walk home along the water's edge. A few minutes later, they reached their home, and it being the wee hours of the morning, decided to go straight to sleep instead of watching the usual repeat of the evening news, a nightly ritual that always made them sleepy. As Mr. Lethbridge rounded the banister ready to head up the stairs, he noticed a dark object through the front living room window, something hanging above Random Island, lying just east of his home looking out towards the Atlantic. Curious, Mr. Lethbridge stepped outside to get a better look, and was stunned with absolute shock at what he thought he saw. Moments later, his wife too came outside, wondering why the door had been left ajar. But before she could even ask, she too was awestruck at the massive, unidentifiable object hovering over the island. The sightings of unidentified craft at Clarenville would strangely become one of the most prolific UFO stories in Canadian history, and furthering the conversation surrounding these strange occurrences, such as Charlie Red Star in Manitoba, the Falcon Lake incident, and numerous other unexplainable UFO events. Join us on Into the Portal for a look at one of Newfoundland's strangest UFO sightings ever recorded, and a trip back to 1978. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we're back with a brand new episode, and we're diving into the world of ufology this week. Hey? Yeah, coming back around to that again. It's been a little while, so I'm excited. I'm super pumped on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick housekeeping, of course. We've yes. got a few new reviews this week. Yeah. Thank you so much, you guys. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so awesome. funny. Whenever we get like a negative review or like a not so good review, we always get like a really, just like a slew of awesome ones right yeah. after. And so I we just... Do. You guys are the best. Really? <laughs> yeah. You always so. know how to like, yeah, uh, lift us back up, even though we're not really, we weren't feeling down about it or anything, but uh, it's just nice to get so much positive feedback. You guys are awesome. So we always appreciate the reviews. So it was from uh, Stores315, uh, Art Geek Mom, and uh, Timmy G is awesome. Um, smoking five-star reviews and that was all on the American iTunes and as always if you guys are from um, another country around the world and we haven't um, given you a shout out or anything we haven't checked your checked you know I, the, I comb through a few but we comb through but there's a lot of iTunes there there's really a lot is. of there's a lot so anyway if we've missed you let us know but uh, we do have another little bit of an update too on the yeah okay so we just um, received we were really stoked on Friday um, we received some of the prize pack from Cryptonaut podcast yes we did yeah so yeah we've got some really cool things we kind of put together um, so like we said we're going to be doing 
the mug-based prize pack. There's going to be lots of goodies in there. It's kind of funny because, of course, it's a Halloween prize, but you'll, you'll be getting it closer to Christmas time. But It'll be, <laughs> Not yeah, actually. I mean, It'll be the end of the month, hopefully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, shipping always takes a long time. Oh, shoot, but, yeah. Uh, we, um, anyway, we're, we're excited to put those together. Yeah, magnets and pins and stickers from Kryptonaut, and then same deal from us. We got some cool stuff and candy, so I'm excited to send those off. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, and then, Is there anything else to for housekeeping here? I can't remember. Oh yeah, um, yeah, two new episodes up on Patreon. Yep. Sweet. Yeah. We um, uh, one of them is more of a historical mystery. The other is cryptozoological. So mm-hmm. nice variety for you guys on Patreon. So go check it out. It's just forward slash into the portal. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who I know that we always mention uh, Patreon, just. Uh, you know, casually or whatever. But for those of you who aren't really that familiar with Patreon, uh, basically, yeah, it's just a place where creators can um, gain a community, um, have their sort of base follow them and support them. And yeah. it's fun, right? You can do it um, per project. You can do it per month. That's kind yeah. of what we do is per month. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just a really fun way to connect and support your favorite creators. So Definitely. And it's been a huge thing, help. Like it covers our website costs and it covers a few of our other costs for the show. So it's a huge help. You guys keep the lights on. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew. Let's ready to, ready dive, to dive into in? this. Cool. Yes. So, like Amber said off the top, we are heading back into the UFOlogy realm, and uh, but we're sticking in the Great White North, of course. We kind of had to. You really wanted to do a Canadian UFO case. so I did? Well, I, we, we both did. We both <laughs> wanted to cover another UFO event, but I feel like all, most of the familiar ones are not Canadian. So it's, True. For the most part, anyway. But today we're heading over to Newfoundland and an event that took place on October. Well, there's a few different variant accounts, but on October 26th, 1978, in the rural harbor town of Clarenville, Newfoundland. So the initial report uh, came in of a UFO to over the police radio, and this was pretty early in the morning. And it came in from a man by the name of Chester Lethbridge, who was with his wife and a few of the other locals at the time, and they had spotted something anomalous in the sky. And this was the second time in less than two weeks that the couple had actually sighted an unidentified object. I'm, I'm reluctant at this stage to say craft because I don't know if that's how they phrased it at or the time. if it's how they perceived it even. Right. It's interesting though, like you say, um, yeah, like there was some discrepancy with the dates, right? Uh, some of the articles, I think this was a misnomer, they would say November 26th. But that seems to be a mistake on the part of... Um, secondary sources because you will see blackwood refer repeatedly to the night of october 26th slash morning of the 27th right um yeah so that was kind of interesting i thought but mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it's, there's always subtle discrepancies with these cases and that kind of adds to the mm-hmm. i mean it makes it more interesting and sometimes and sometimes it's frustrating. adds to the myth <laughs> of the story definitely yeah so it kind of goes on like this rcmp officer jim blackwood was the sort of the first guy on the scene he was the one who they who was contacted over the radio and fully expecting the locals to as basically just to have gotten into too much drink the night before a little bit of moonshine, a little bit of uh, possibly some hallucinations or just misidentification. Right. But Mm -hmm. what he saw when he got there would change his life. It would totally change how he perceived the UFO phenomena. So this part's crazy. The sighting lasted approximately two hours, Mm -hmm. which is extremely long time for a UFO sighting, obviously. Um, the craft is visible on, sorry, how does this say, um, just above the water over top of random Island, Newfoundland, um, for basically the entire duration of that two hours. And Blackwood became the centerpiece of this story, um, because he was there for the entire time and basically trying to make heads or tails of what he was looking at with these people. Basically, um, yeah. and, uh, 
yeah, so the the story basically exploded after after he came back and uh, reported this to his superiors, basically. Mm-hmm. So most of what remains of this story is derived from Blackwood's official account. He was interviewed quite extensively in the aftermath of this incident, and you know he added a lot of credibility to this. I'll say, and a lot of newspapers commented on that as well. But yeah, essentially, this is his account from the interview. Okay. And this interview is available on YouTube. We will make this a part of our sources. Yep. But this is just a recap of what he had to say. So this was his words. He said October 27th. So that's the morning, the wee hours of the morning of the 27th. Right. Um, he received a call from a resident um, that a UFO had appeared in the sky of some kind. At the time, Blackwood was actually stationed on the other side of town, so he had to drive um, down what's Marine Drive. I'm assuming that's like the main stretch. Yeah, along the water or something, right? Exactly, where he met the resident. Um, He looked at the sky when he arrived on the scene and saw an object coming from the west heading east, and he described it as approximately two to 3,000 feet in altitude. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. At this time, um, he just thought it was a jet flying overhead because right. it wasn't moving erratically. It was just kind of, yeah, it was meandering across the sky. So essentially, um, once the resident, um, a Mr. Lethbridge, I believe, Chester yes. Lethbridge, yeah. gave him uh, some binoculars, he started to notice that there was something strange and that the object actually halted over the harbor. So actually, not was it a harbor? I'm well, there's, sure. I'm sure there is a harbor there. It's but kind it's of a essentially, harbor. Like, wh- I think it's just a passageway, though. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Like, Newfoundland is an amalgamation of, like, a large island, and then there's also mainland, and then there's sort of scattered little mini islands in between So Random two. Island is one of those islands. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the craft was stationed high up in the sky, um, thousands of feet in altitude. Yeah. But it was approximately over this island. Right. What is this reminding you of a little bit? Hmm, we got a UFO over water. I'll just let you guys at home ponder that. (laughs) Um, But essentially, yeah. So Blackwood could not identify this object. And he was an aviation enthusiast. So it's not as if he wasn't well-versed with these kinds of things. Yeah. And so he actually sent um, a dispatch and he asked them to bring an industrial telescope that the police had for um, drug investigations, that type of thing. And equipment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Spy equipment. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So um, I, I guess one of his buddies from the detachment came down with the um, telescope and they started to observe this object. And so they mounted it, set it all up, and this gave off, like, obviously, like, a lot more detail and a lot more scope than... Yeah. <laughs> scope. <laughs> <laughs> what do you even call it? My magnification, I guess? Well, I and just, know. like, well, just greater detail. They could just well, yeah. see They could just see it more clearly than sort of a foggy lens of a, an older pair of binoculars, essentially, exactly. right? So he had a lot better capabilities for witnessing this object and describing what he saw. And so essentially... Um, what he first noticed were the blue lights. And these were stationed on either side of the object. The object itself was described as oval-shaped. So Mm -hmm. it's circular, more of like, yeah, like an oblong circle. Not completely... circular yeah like i would say okay like here's the, it's circular, the it's best way i can circular. describe it for you guys like listening at home is like blackwood does draw and it's a very rudimentary mm-hmm. little sketch obviously right yeah. um but essentially what it looked like to me when i first saw it was um like a zeppelin like a blimp 
totally. shape, type shape, right? And yeah, I did see other accounts um, and varying descriptions where it was like described as a classic cigar shape, but I feel like that had to do with your perspective, like where yeah. you were seeing it in the sky. Right. So yeah, so essentially he made the call. This isn't a plane. <laughs> it's yeah. a UFO. <laughs> And yeah, so they're observing this thing from the same position that they met these people. The the um, I'm just want to say Chester Lethbridge. What a name! I want to say I want to say the Chestertons because the Chesterton. we, because of that episode of Murder She Wrote. Oh we my just god! Watched. It's been a while since we had a Murder She Wrote reference on the show. There you go. There you go, everybody. <laughs> no shame. No shame. At None. All. Not at all. So. He's looking at this thing, and what he noticed was that the bottom half of the object was completely illuminated by a white light, but that it wasn't really, like, shining out. It was just the actual, the hull, so to speak, of whatever Mm -hmm. this was, was not bright and shiny, but that there was some sort of a light there. It was illuminated. It's almost like a dull, like, I'm picturing, like, a dull light, you know, like those bulbs where it's, like, it doesn't really shine out. It's just kind of a matted, soft Mm -hmm. type light. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm picturing. And at this time, he... He said that he observed this and that those blue lights that you just mentioned were flashing really rapidly on either side and more and more rapidly than anything else that he had ever seen before. And he basically made the statement Mm. in the uh, interview that aircraft, like when you look up in the air and you see an air, like a 747 going over you, you, there's a blink, there's some blinking lights, especially at nighttime, obviously, right? But it's not... Multicolored too. Sure. But like red and white. But they're not outside. like flashing like a strobe light and like switching from one side to the other. And like, you know what I mean? Like this was very random. There was no nothing he recognized. He basically said there's no commercial craft that would ever use their lights in that way because that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> so he watched it at max range for some time, focusing on the top at this point, trying to figure out like what shape this actually was. What was the shape of this craft? It was roughly oval, like you said, but it had this weird triangular shape at the back, sort of similar to a plane tail, but he said that it was much, much smaller than what, you know, the, the, what's the proper term? I don't even know, the fin of a plane, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, uh, it was way too small to make sense. It's interesting too, because, um, yeah, like oval shape with the triangle shape on the back, I've actually seen other varying descriptions where it says it's actually on the top of the craft. So coming oh. off of the top. Oh, like, so you mean like it's not even attached? Like it's hovering off the top? No, like it was coming off the top. Right, like, yeah, yeah. So like it's at the back of, or it's at one end is what I mean to say, I guess. It's at one okay. far end. So picture a blimp and this thing's like, it's like a shark tail at the one yeah. end of the blimp, yeah. essentially, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to, yeah. I don't really know if that's the end or the front or, right, because he didn't know either. He's not making heads or tails. And I actually I have some thoughts on that, um, okay. but we're going to save that for theories. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like he was thinking that his mom was playing tricks on them and that maybe it was a combination of a plane and uh, and then, you know, possibly a falling star. He stated that, that's about all I can tell you about it. The size appeared to me to be a little larger than a 747 aircraft, a few hundred feet in size, no wings. The style was clear and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. So this is early in the morning, but I guess he's still able to i mean tell i'm he's an aviation enthusiast so he's been like no wings no but yeah. about a little larger than the 747 so that's pretty big that's, that is huge yeah so it, it turned around as he watched it so this is when it starts to move and he was able to see each side of it so before he was only viewing it from one side mm-hmm. so it, at this point it was moving really really slow but then made quick movements up and down but always returning to the exact same spot it was hovering 
So it definitely has those erratic movements that are characteristic. Like non-ballistic motion. Kind of reminds me of Charlie Reznor yeah, a little bit. Definitely. Mm-hmm. He Blackwood stated repeatedly that he saw no windows and no doors, but he did say that, and this was a quote from the interview, it was definitely a metallic structure, but what type of metal I wouldn't care to guess. It was a dull metal. It was like a dull metal. And then he said another quote here, I am familiar with aircrafts of all shapes and sizes, but the metal on it was not like aircraft metal. It was very dull and not shiny at all. It wasn't even smooth. It was very coarse looking. That's weird. That's like almost like a concrete. It's oh, how yeah. like a dull gray coarse Oh, that actually, material. I never thought about that. Isn't that like, weird? That's interesting though. Like a porous, like non-smooth surface. You would think, you know, just to, for like the purpose of being um, aerodynamic in the air, you yeah. would want a smooth shape. Yeah design that's odd and actually i don't know if we've come across that in other we've definitely before. seen the dull the dull, metallic yep. um descriptions we've never seen, seen the the yeah hmm. the roughness so this potentially very, this is unique to this case right so at this point in time that same light that i had mentioned before was was getting brighter and it was so bright that he was actually having trouble seeing the underside of the craft which is basically the last frontier that he hadn't got a good view on mm. um you'd think that'd be the first thing you'd get a good view on though not necessarily though right because it, it, you're not you're viewing direct, it from the ground but you're not directly underneath it though yeah so you're you're viewing it from the side you might get a section of the underside True, but it's like you're from like a, a 45 degree angle is what i'm picturing it's of. funny too because the way he describes it is like an oval he doesn't and then he does draw like that blimp like kind of shape, but he doesn't describe it as like the classic like two plates put together or like a like a pancake or like you know that right. type of thing where it's yeah. like it could be um, I don't even like two concave lenses kind of put together so right. that maybe the well but that to me would make the underside of the craft much more visible right because it's kind of protruding out yeah. the bottom yeah but maybe this is a case where it's not doing that maybe this is a case where it's very similar to um an incident we covered before in the podcast the maury island incident where essentially it was donut shaped craft right. shaped craft yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sorry good talk um and they spewed out all this weird slag like materials right. right and that yeah. metallic paper um so maybe what we are seeing is some sort of weird like, yeah, something opening up from the inside of the craft. Possibly. Potentially. Because we are getting more similarities, right? Which we'll get into further with the idea that oh, this craft is over water. Yeah. So that is a significant element Definitely. when you're examining these cases, I think. Definitely. Mm-hmm. One of the really curious things about this case um, is that we, and we mentioned this loosely at the beginning, is that this had been reported just a few weeks earlier by the same mm-hmm. couple, the, Leth- the Lethbridges. Um, and at this point in time, they're in their mid 40s. They're not like old kooks in their 90s saying i saw a ufo even though your bifocals are you know as thick as a freaking Mm. whatever yeah um so i don't even know this can be kind of taken a number of different ways but according to blackwood i mean he blackwood seemed like they were he he thought they were genuine and obviously like before he got there and then (laughs) well he kind of he had a healthy dose of skepticism yeah right because he's just like yeah you know they're probably just partying and they're seeing stuff that's not there right which is fine right if you're a police officer you have to go in with that kind of attitude because if you're not then it's hard to be objective about Mm -hmm. anything but it's interesting yeah like these people they had seen this multiple times in a period of under two weeks um they were never officially interviewed i don't believe and that to me is kind of interesting because of the fact that um i don't know what their credibility is like maybe they are a couple of friggin weirdos (laughs) well that's just it we don't know yeah we really (laughs) don't know but the fact of the matter is a police officer got involved and 
basically confirmed what they were saying. Right. So it doesn't really matter whether or not they were interviewed or not. But anyways. Right. So yeah, as as this... Okay, so this is still going on, right? Yeah. This is such a weird, weirdly long incident. And I think it was drawn out because unless they had a boat, they weren't able to get any closer, right? So how are they going to... This is all they know. really had. Are they going to provoke it? Is it going to notice them? Or are we going to like, you know, so this is where it starts to get even more interesting because yeah. Blackwood decides he's going to try and contact this craft. He And he actually started using um, his high beam cruiser headlights and he it was basically doing like Morse code all like, I don't even know if he was actually spelling out words or anything, but he was just blinking it on and off just to get a reaction. Yeah, try to get something. And sure enough, um, this thing started mimicking him. Interesting. So you can interpret this in two ways, I believe. You can interpret it as um, an intelligence coming back and responding, or you can look at it as like perhaps the materials of the craft were such that they would provide um, that reflection back. So these are high beams. Like I'm not yeah. sure. Like this is, but again though, this is two to three thousand feet up in the air. Yeah, you're not going to get a reflection back. That's you would like, think, like, unless like, unless because it is nighttime, it is hard to determine those um, distances. So again, yeah. there could be some discrepancy there. Possibly. But I I just found this so interesting because the, again, this mimics or sorry, <laughs> it parallels a lot of other UFO cases. Yeah. And. Yeah, so essentially this, um, we've, we've discussed this before, and I'm sorry for all of our regular listeners who aren't a part of our Patreon community, because we did do this really awesome UFO case called Charlie Red Star, and yes. that was a, a Manitoba UFO case that um, occurred over an extensive period. It was over two years yeah. in um, the 1960s, or no, sorry, it was 1970s. 1970s as 77, well. 76 to 77, I believe, if I'm not correct mistaken interesting so that's but close to this it is really close to this and charlie was known that's what they called him charlie he was known for doing just that right if you tried to communicate with him if you flashed your flashlight at him he right. would usually respond by either because he was known to glow his yes. whole the whole craft would glow and so he would glow brighter or he would like yeah just like shoot beams like at, right. at the people and he was very playful yeah it's almost like yeah just like some sort of um not childlike, but just, yeah, like very whimsical kind of thing. So essentially, yeah, this, this, um, <laughs> this officer decides he's just going to try it. Why not? Right. Yeah, we're not? all here. We're all just standing around in the middle of the dark and in, in the morning. So yeah. let's, let's see. But actually, um, the guy that initially reported it, Lethbridge got kind of upset he was like what are you doing i like, can stop that like, right. do you want to like you know uh, antagonize so this he thing, was or? concerned he was he like was. more of the mind that they an he, invasion or something along oh, those totally. lines like, yeah <laughs> exactly he was taking the cautionary approach um but essentially yeah uh he continued on blackwood and um it was interesting like the way that i kind of pictured this in my head was like i feel like this is almost like like cuttlefish like was kind yeah, of my thought. I saw that note you added in there. That is interesting. Yeah, because cuttlefish, if you watch any, like, you know, uh, Planet Earth or the deep sea one yeah. that they do, um, they have these very interesting ways of um, transforming and manipulating colors to different effects to kind right. of um, convey different messages and um, communicate with their surroundings. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking, like, maybe this is like, a, I don't even know, another version of that. Yeah. But that was just my weird little thought. No, that isn't even that weird of a thought. Um, <clears throat> that that ties into the fringy idea of like of UFOs almost being um, 
like entities in and of themselves. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's a bi- not not necessarily biological how we perceive biological mm-hmm. in our on earth or whatever, but in some way shape or form and that's why maybe yeah, I would communicate with lights. Yeah. Like a Charlie. Exactly. Just that's like Charlie. That's an interesting idea. I like that a lot. Yeah. So, okay, so this starts happening, Blackwood's flashing away his beams and the craft takes off at this point. Sorry, you just made me, I just picture Blackwood's flashing away his beams. He's just standing there freaking flashing the UFO, trying to get her, trying to get a reaction. Anyway, sorry. I just trying to stir something I just pictured that in my head, this guy, Blackwood. And if you watch the video, you'll chuckle because it's... Super credible. (laughs) Yeah, so essentially, um, this is when the craft decided to uh, exit the scene. And essentially, it did that by just poof, just like vertical shooting out into right. the ether, the atmosphere, whatever, yeah. and just gone. Yeah. Just like that. And that, again, is very classic. We've seen that in a few others. And all of you UFO enthusiasts, you were probably, yeah, picking up those little strands of parallels as we go. Definitely. Um, yeah. So essentially, Blackwood, like we said before, he became the centerpiece of this whole story. And for about two solid weeks, he was conducting interviews. He was on the phone. He was, um, talking to CBC, BBC, you name it. He was on it. Yeah. And that was pretty crazy if you think about it. Like, well, and he didn't even, it wasn't even him. The the interesting part about that is like, it wasn't him choosing to, like his superiors were like, you do it. You go on, you, CBC asks you for an interview, you give the interview. He wanted to sweep it under the rug. If he was just like, and that was an interesting thing about Blackwood. We're going to talk about his credibility more so, but yeah, just that idea, right? That he he wasn't just ranting and raving about this thing. It was through official channels. He was never he never became obsessed with UFOs after this. Right. It was just something that happened to him. Yeah. And he's never really been able to explain it. So yeah. I thought that was that adds to his credibility. Definitely lends mm-hmm. to his credibility. I, you know, of course, we talked about Charlie Redstar and some of those comparisons before before this recording and stuff, but I didn't think about the dates, which is so silly because I brought up some other examples in and around the same time. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if Blackwood had uh, was at all aware of the events in Manitoba just the previous year. So I wonder. 76 to 76 is when that all started up, right? We never came across anything like that. Like it, the, and, and of course, things weren't as well-known you know, from coast to coast back in the seventies, you weren't catching it on social media and things like that. You were either mm. reading it in the paper or you had to be watching that particular news bulletin. But, yep. um, still I wonder because if he would have had any other influences at all, you know right. what I mean? Right. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause even if you do happen to see something on say the news, you see like a, a picture say that someone's drawn very similar to the one that he drew, right? That was very rudimentary, like we right. said, but again, like you see images like that go around and then who knows what kind of influence that can have on someone's mind uh, when they encounter something unknown per se. Definitely. <laughs> it's so funny too. When I looked at that sketch and how simple it is and it just immediately, rem- this is off topic, but it just immediately reminded me of Brian and Angelo from Double Density and the drawing of Cressy from Late Crescent. And it's just like a stick. <laughs> it's just like a stick with a the tiny official, like, on Wikipedia. The <laughs> That's like the official drawing of Cressy. It's like, wow, Pablo Picasso, Cressy. but uh, kind of the same thing with black. Blackwood's drawing. <laughs> I wonder if that's it's Rob. Funny. Oh, no, does Rob have a Chrissy, Chrissy account on? Somebody has, uh, we don't know who it is. If someone has a champ from Lake Champlain. That's Twitter. Rob. Is it? Well, don't, don't give it away. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure he already did many times. So. <laughs> from our strange guys. Right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. actually that's fitting. We should be giving him a shout out on this episode anyway. So shout yeah. out to Rob Christofferson from Our Strange Skies. Yeah, the UFO um, He's our go-to expert. UFO guy. Mm-hmm. So, 
Do you want to give a quick kind of a recap, description recap? I think that's important because there's a lot going on with this craft in Mm -hmm. particular. And we've said different shapes. We've said ovals. We've said triangles. We've said tails. We've said lights. We've said not lights. We've said balls. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just get this straight. Okay. So essentially we are looking at either, well, it doesn't have to be either or, but classic cigar shaped craft or the pie plate shape, but more oval than circular. Yeah big so we're talking roughly the size of a of a commercial not a commercial jet but like a boeing uh, 747 jet passenger jet a passenger jet yeah there you go and i don't actually know the actual footage of that big <laughs> <laughs> it's big okay it's <laughs> it's huge. okay but anyways yeah so uh, another important aspect about this craft was this triangle shaped tail and like we mentioned, we didn't actually say this, but this was a quote from Blackwood too. And he basically said it kept turning from left to right. So it's kind of like, almost like wiggling. And Weird. I think that kind of corresponds with what he said about how it was kind of like moving a little bit down. erratically yeah. and it was sort of turning and yeah. whatever. So yeah, so this tail um, was essentially accentuating that movement. And in other sources, I saw it described as a pyramid-shaped tail. Right. So they're both yes. triangles, but that's interesting, right? If they're Obviously, it's a three-dimensional object, so it's going to be a pyramid. It's just shape. a question of how how three-dimensional. Like, if you picture, like, the tail really of, a, of a plane, it's like, sure, it's three-dimensional, but if compared that to, like, an actual symmetrical we've, pyramid. We've come across, uh, remember that crazy article we saw that was, like, basically a giant pyramid was floating in the sky? Oh, no, 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 it wasn't a pyramid. It was a giant cube. Ooh, Do you remember that? And it almost picked yeah. up a girl off of, like, she almost got, like, like teleported Vaguely. into it. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. That's yeah. insane. If anyone's curious about that one, just look up floating cube. <laughs> we'll but anyways, yeah. So we've got this pyramid-shaped tail or triangle-shaped tail. We have a description of a dull metallic color. Yep. Rough looking, not smooth. Mm-hmm. And we've got no um, no doors, no windows, which is kind of weird. Right. But multiple lights. And these were described um, by using high-powered binoculars, so it's pretty... I would say it's pretty reputable suggestion. Yeah, like they're not just guessing; like they can see it. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're you know they're using the high the high what are uh, the uh, whatever like the police telescope. Yeah, not the just, ball scope. Not just buddy guys binoculars. No, no, no. And so then we get okay. So we've got a discre- not a discrepancy with the lights, but we've got differentiation of the lights. So we've got side lights that are blue and blinking at very rapid speeds. Mm-hmm. We've got a a bottom light that's like basically covering the entire bottom, and it's like it started to glow brighter and brighter. And yeah. I'm wondering if that has something to do with energy transformations or I don't even know what's going on. Like building up for the, for, for when for it the takeoff, takes, right? Yeah. Like exactly. pieces the scene. Cause yeah. that's what Charlie would do too, right? He would glow a really deep red color. It would turn into a white and then he'd go poof, yeah. and just start shooting off right. into the ether. Right. But, um, yeah. So we've got the blue colored lights on each side. We've got another light that's described as red and white on the top of the craft blinking right. variously between the two colors. And then we've got silence. So there was no sound reported throughout this entire encounter that lasted hours. So that to me is huge. Mm -hmm. And again, very similar to a lot of other UFO cases. Yeah, definitely. The other thing too, I think is that's definitely really important here is that it was casting a shadow, but at the, as the time went, went on, did we already mention that? Uh, We did mention that at the very start. Right. So that's interesting too, because if this thing is floating at like 3,000 feet in the air. Sorry, approximately one to 3,000 feet. So we've got like 2,000 feet variation. 
<laughs> but um, that is interesting because that to me speaks to a, a very large craft. Mm-hmm. And depending on the position of the moon in the sky, like... Well, I'm thinking this had to have been... Like how... Yeah, that's just it. Like we don't have the exact time when they say that. Because obviously like two hours sighting, we early hours of the morning, and then by the tail end of that two hours, the sun must have been coming up at this point. You is what think. I'm thinking, and that's what was casting, allowing for a shadow to be cast over top of this object, right? Not not at the initial when Blackwood showed up first. Hmm. Because and it another too thing, dark. too, that I'm thinking now is like, okay, so if this craft is emitting a huge light, white light from the bottom, you would think any shadow would just be obliterated by You'd that. You'd think. But that's me and a very rudimentary understanding of shadows and lights. <laughs> but, but anyway, I know that is a good point though, actually. It's, it's all interesting. Like, yeah. So, okay. So that's the end of the encounter. Yeah. Yes. So I kind of just wanted to go over the weather conditions that evening. Okay. Uh, because that obviously lends to a lot of credibility. Like, was there low clouds hanging in the sky? Obviously not if they're, <laughs> they're describing a craft that's two to 3,000 feet up in the air. Yeah, that would negate their story for sure. Essentially, yeah. So, okay. Um, this is sourced from the Nighttime Podcast. I'm just going to read uh, just a tiny bit of this here. Sure. This was from not the official report. But it was a summary of the event. Okay. So essentially, um, quote, the sky was clear at this time and the object was observed at an altitude of approximately three to 4,000 feet. Hmm. The object was described as an oval shape with large triangle, triangle, large triangular fin on top, completely red with white, white and blue flashing lights and very bright. Anyways, okay. end quote. I just thought that was interesting too, because they're, um, they're clarifying what the conditions were. Obviously, this was a clear night. I'm not sure what stage the moon was at. They weren't that specific. (laughs) But that, to me, helps establish what the setting was. Well, like, literally, it's funny you mentioned the moon. Literally, that was what one of the explanations was. It was that Blackwood was literally seeing the moon, the bottom half of the moon, like, partially covered by a cloud. Oh. And that just was, like, a cloud... And then, you know, picture like a little sliver of the moon underneath as the light emanating. And I just think that's the dumbest explanation ever. Okay. Like, Hmm. I'm not even going to bring that up in the theory section because that's that's really (laughs) stupid. You just brought... Well, it's not the theory section. (laughs) We're mentioning it now. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying because you mentioned the moon. So anyway. And I've seen that before, right? Where people just think like, it's like, oh, you just saw... you're You're just seeing a a weird atmospheric change or oh, you're seeing just, a cloud or you're yeah. seeing the, the sun it's like no that hurts <laughs> me i don't like that no but another thing too about this quote um that is sort of another discrepancy here is the idea that they're saying three to four thousand feet so now we're getting quotes of one to two to three thousand to four thousand so there's like a big range of how but i would say just for I don't even know. For a base standard, I'd say it's at least a thousand feet. In well, the air. obviously, and but think a thousand feet's not that high up. Really. No, no, not for an aircraft. I guess not. That's like what, like three hundred fifty meters. It's yeah. It's like it's 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 really not that far in the air. I mean, at a distance added to that, that's a whole other can of worms, right? If you're not directly underneath this that's thing. That's true. But the other thing about being at a distance from it, like looking at it on, like I said earlier, maybe like a forty-five degree or whatever angle it is out towards the object. You have more reference points that way. You've mm-hmm. got reference points from the island it's above. You've got reference points from... That's very true. Um, ...potentially clouds that are noticeably closer to you, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can see like, okay, that's about however many clicks away. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're right underneath it and there's no frame of reference above you, that is the quintessential like um, 
critique of UFO sightings, right? And also yeah. for, like, giant bird sightings and things like that, like in the mm. Thunderbirds episode. And another thing, too, um, just again to add to Blackwood's credibility is the idea that as a police officer, you definitely are more well-versed with those types of judgments, right? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're in a situation, when a crime's happening or you see a suspect, like, you need to be able to quick reference, like, he was five to six feet tall, he was this or whatever, like, you know, like that type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that's a, an interesting point, right? Because we're, we have this established, right? This is a clear night. Yeah. Nothing going on. Nothing going on. So before we get into um, the official explanation mm-hmm. and some of our sort of theories, we're just going to stop for a quick promo break from our friends over at the Dark Remnants podcast. Yeah. So Dark Remnants podcast is all about uh, horror stories, creepy stories. So basically, if you're into sci-fi, Lovecraft, creepypasta, things like that, you'll definitely love the show. Mm-hmm. So take a listen to this promo and go check out Dark Remnants podcast. dark fringes of our world, the pieces forgotten, the dark remnants. Dark Remnants is a podcast that features horror stories. These stories may be scary, brutal, odd, creepy, or just plain weird. If you're a fan of horror, dark sci-fi, lovecraft, or creepy pasta, then join me every other Saturday for a new tale to tell. You can find Dark Remnants wherever you get your podcast or visit darkremnants.com. Come and join us in the dark. So in the days following the encounter, we are obviously going to get some official explanations on this. And one of the first people that reached out was the spokesperson from the Canadian Armed Forces. And they commented at the time, um, I think it was within a few weeks, and they said that they had looked into their systems and they could come up with no indications of any sort of aircraft in the area at the time of the incident. So, of course, this wow. is a stretch of a few hours. So that actually gives them more leeway, more playtime to kind of work with, right? I would imagine. Definitely. And just the fact that it wasn't a rainy night, so there wouldn't be anything clouding up the radar or anything right. like that. Right, Because we came across that again, right, when we were talking about the Great Lakes Triangle and the yes. Felix Monkla case where basically a... Was he RCAF? He was... That's a good... Oh, I believe gosh, I he remember. was. He was a, in a fighter jet, and when he disappeared over the great lakes and his plane was never found he was never found and there's yeah. been no official resolution to that case no and of course he reported a craft he did he he reported anomalies in the sky something following him essentially i believe that's how the story went yes. right and we're not yes. confusing that with oh, another, yes. right? and yes. they picked it up on the radar and when we were talking to chris during that uh bonus episode he mentioned chris chris uh, from Dash of science mm-hmm. that sometimes birds like flocks of birds yes. would pick up on the radar. Yeah. But of course, there's nothing on the radar in this case at Clarenville. Mm-hmm. And clearly it's not a flock of birds because Blackwood exactly. would know. Exactly. So that was interesting. Um, so they didn't really have an explanation other than the fact that they just couldn't offer one. <laughs> right. And then we get another um, branch of the government in Ottawa, the National Research Council. And they had actually at the time had a upper atmosphere program that was essentially responsible for 
um, reporting on UFOs and stuff. So they came, they became involved in this case. Okay. And essentially, they were of the mind that the sightings were a simple misidentification of the planet Jupiter. Hmm. Yes. So this um, NRC agent, his name was A.G. McNamara, he responded to these reports and he said that essentially the planet Jupiter is brilliant in mid-October when near the Mediterranean Sea. And so his reasoning was that at this time of night, the position of Jupiter in the sky was so low that it could actually be mistaken for a terrestrial object. Which is bizarre to me, too, because if you are going to take into account the shadow... There's that, yeah. And the lights. How does a planet blink multiple colors of lights? Well, and, like, distinctly on either side. Yeah. Like, blue and then it's on rotating, side. Right? And also, dull metallic, like, material. Yeah. That, that, that seems strange. None of it adds up to me. No. And Blackwood was pretty pissed about this. Like, he... <laughs> it was kind of funny. Yeah, read this quote, man. That's awesome. I love this. He's like, Blackwood... It just says here, Blackwood disagreed. Quote, I tore a strip off him. He had this big explanation, but he didn't talk to me or any of the other 12 witnesses, Blackwood told the packet. He just surmised that this on his own. <laughs> there was this guy doing a paper on it. I told him what I thought of him. <laughs> How the hell can a planet cast a shadow on the water? How can it come down that close that it can block out Random Island? It can't, is the simple answer to that question. That's crazy. So it blocked out the island for them. Their view of the island. Yeah. So that, that's coming quite low. That's that, quite that's, low that's coming. So, so that matches up with the thousand feet. Yeah. Right? So yeah. obviously we can take from those discrepancies that there's varying, it's changing altitude. Right? So, like, when he perceives it as mm-hmm. moving slightly up and down, that could actually be quite a lot more than a few hundred feet or whatever they're thinking it is from a distance or whatever, right? Exactly. And then over the course of however many, you know, half hour of the two hours or whatever, it's all of a sudden quite a lot higher up in the air. Yeah. You never know. I don't could know. Be. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, essentially, where are we at here? Well, we're, at the, we're, we're basically at, we've talked a little bit about Blackwood's credibility, but, I mean, where are you at with that? He was, a, he was a younger officer. He was only 25 years old at the time, but he had been on the force for a few years. It's not like he was a rookie. It wasn't mm-hmm. his first day on the job or anything like that. So, you know, he had nothing to gain from this. He didn't, other than going on BBC and CBC, which he didn't even want to do. His superiors told him to do that. Mm-hmm. And I've got some questions about that. Like, one, why would, why would the police department want to draw attention to them on something like that? Mm-hmm. Why would they just turn down those interviews? Like, do you think that they were like, not pressured, but maybe kind of nudged by the local community to like take the interviews. Like, we need the tourism, or like we need the press, or something well, that's like that. A good point. You know what I mean? Like I was I almost going to go the opposite, where I was like, "This is like Men in Black," where they're like, "You need to." I don't even know. But that'd be the opposite, though. I'd be like, they'd be, you've got to clam up about it. Well, either clam up or uh, a campaign of misinformation. Okay. That yeah. Okay. Possibly. Mm-hmm. But you're right, though. Like the fact that he was so young. He really had nothing to gain and everything to lose. Yeah. It just... And he did become a pariah to a lot of people in the community. He was the laughingstock for a while. And amongst other cops. He didn't want to be that. No. He's this young guy. He's trying to make a name for himself. And he's just starting his career. That's so funny, too. It's like literally... BBC, CBC, multiple local newspapers, provincial newspapers and news networks, mm. national like news networks. Like he, yeah. he was interviewed so many times about this and he never even wanted to. No, he just, <laughs> and now he's, yeah, that's, that's his legacy essentially. 
Um, and it's interesting too, because like Pat Roach, uh, this was a reporter from the Telegram. They wrote a piece about the incident shortly after describing Blackwood as quote, the first shred of credibility to the mushrooming reports of UFOs. Right. So that mm-hmm. to me again, um, speaks to, yeah, exactly that. The, yeah. the idea that this witness is someone that I, I can't cast much doubt on because I can't find much reason for... At least at the time, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, he would later leave Clarenville yes. and move to Nova Scotia, where he kind of took on an interesting sort of local celebrity status in uh, the town in Nova Scotia as essentially the raccoon whisperer. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had like a pack of like... Saving raccoons. <laughs> I think it was up to um, 30 raccoons would show up on his door every night. He stays up till like 3 a.m. just to feed these things. <laughs> And it's all out of the goodness of his heart because it started with his wife. Um, once they moved to Nova Scotia, she found um, a nearly dead raccoon on the side of the road and they took it in, raised it, um, and got it back to health and uh, released it, semi-released it. It always came back, though. It was, it yeah. was attached to them. And yeah. then essentially um, a few years passed and then it brought its its baby to them as well. And they would come and they would eat like PB and J sandwiches <laughs> or like whatever was on. Like they would go all out for these raccoons. Right. And then his wife unfortunately died of cancer in the early two thousands. And so, um, it was kind of all he had left of, of her. And so he just decided he would, that to, just speaks to his character though, in yeah, my mind. To continue like, on doing it. Yeah. Like when I first read that and before I looked into it, it was like, oh, like did this guy lose his marbles? But no, he Aww, didn't. He was no. really, he's, he's a humanitarian or a, not humanitarian. He's An a, animal-tarian. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a, <laughs> a philanthropist of sorts giving yeah. away the PB and J's to the animal yeah. creatures. Yeah. No, I. He even gets them like Tim Horton's donuts. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? Every Saturday night they get donuts. <laughs> I wish I was one of these raccoons. I know, they're well fed. (laughs) So he's out in Nova Scotia at this point, and he's been interviewed in his later years about this as well. Mm -hmm. And he always has the same things to say. His story hasn't changed. No, and he was interviewed quite recently um, for the Nighttime podcast, where we sourced a lot of um, uh, uh, primary sources and uh, excellent materials. Thank you to um, definitely to them over there. <laughs> I'm forgetting names, but like I know, yeah, I'm shout sorry. out to yeah, they yeah. it's great, really, really well researched. Show. Another Canadian podcast, yes, I absolutely, believe. yes, very cool. But yeah, so they got together and did a phone interview with Blackwood, and yeah, he didn't have any discrepancies really with his. It's just a simple story, and you know, like the more he tells it, it's just it is what it is. Yeah, there's one aspect of it here though that you were going to talk about that's sort of not fishy. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's some alleged photographs from the incident that haven't really surfaced. No, this is interesting because they haven't been found. There's, they haven't been included in anything. I can't, they've never surfaced on the internet. I don't really know what was made of them, but essentially we got this from the unofficial like Newfoundland, um, Clarenville website. Yes. And so essentially this is a quote here. It says, um, after observing for more than five minutes, one officer turned on the cruiser lights and the disc responded by flashing back via lights on its body. So the officer being Blackwood. Right. After a few variations on the light flashing sequence, the officer took a camera from the car and photographed the object. The object departed. It is claimed that the two officers, so Blackwood and the guy that brought the scope to him, um, went to the station and called their staff surgeon. A full report was completed, and both the report and the camera film were placed in an envelope, then put into the detachment safe. This envelope may have been removed a couple days later by officers from another detachment or office. End quote. 
So what? what? <laughs> like, where did... Why would officers from another detachment or office be know. taking documents from a different detachment? That doesn't make any sense. It's fishy. And so I was just really confused by that statement and the fact that we don't actually get corroboration from Blackwood that he took those photos. He never mentioned that in the interview. No. So in my mind, this could be one of two things. This could be a mistake, a misnomer on the part of this um, recollection. Like, because this is an unofficial Clarenville UFO website. So again, right, like it could be just something to sort of pump up the mythology of it. I'm not sure. Add some sort of like, yeah, like conspiracy element, like a men in black. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But it could, could be legit. I don't know. Maybe maybe the confusion was that the photos could have been taken by the residents that called and then and then got misplaced oh. or weren't good enough to keep or maybe they weren't you know what I mean like clear this is or seventies and I'm sure that a lot of cameras like the police cameras would have been quite good I would imagine sure but, but they still was... wouldn't have been it still just would have been regular old film and like you know subject to. Yeah. If the light's not quite right on that, you know what I mean? Like the it's, classic where you take yeah. a picture and there's a UFO in the corner, but no, that's just mm. uh, film. <laughs> exactly. Or even just that, right? Where it's just, you get a tiny little speck in the photo. It's like, yeah. that's just nothing. I right. don't even know what that is. I it's can't... an orb. It's an orb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what are your, okay. So we were going to kind of break down. We already have a little, but like, what the heck are we dealing with in this sighting? Like mm-hmm. what, are, what, are, what are these people actually seeing? So we've given a bit of the shapes and stuff and we are like, Hey, well, what do we know what have we looked at in the past that we can reference? And we've mentioned Charlie Red Star, and I think there's a ton of similarities beyond just the lights. Mm-hmm. So you've got the flashing communication. That's one thing. Yeah. You mentioned the cuttlefish as some sort of, as basically a, a metaphor for that, which is really the cu- Yeah, totally. And then um, there were some erratic movements, right? Not right. too, too many. Like, especially when he was like, it almost seemed as if it was a, a straight projectile through the sky initially when Blackwood had showed up. But we don't know that. It could have maybe had some sort of bobbing. Who knows? Right. But we're not going to just put That's that just, in there. <laughs> totally. I'm not going to assume that that was there. No. But anyways, um, they also describe something kind of similar to Charlie. Okay, we're getting back to that triangle slash uh, pyramid shape on the sort of top slash back of the craft. Sure. Um, what I kind of thought was, with, okay, with the Charlie Red Star case, there were a lot of times where witnesses would describe seeing one sort of like mother craft and then similar craft um, either orbiting around it in like kind of like a figure eight motion yep. or um, almost like docking onto the craft. Yes. And then um, undocking after and like departing away. That's so And weird. so, <laughs> I know, right? It's just like almost like a, a fueling up. Like, what, yeah. what if that is the fuel ship? And then they like, anyways, these little tiny hey. bots just go and do their thing. That makes sense. And then sense. come back. But um, yeah, so what I was thinking was like, what if this could have been a secondary craft like docked on top or on the side of the initial craft, sort of similar to this Charlie scenario. But this is again, just all conjecture. It's all conjecture, but mm-hmm. it's like, we're, you know, wait, whatever. That's what we have to do with the information we, we can work with here. Totally. That mm-hmm. would make sense if there's some sort of a, yeah, like a recon- reconnaissance vehicles that are, ref- yeah, like it's a refueling dock of some kind because otherwise mm. what's the because that's one thing with ufos that i've always wondered like and whether or not you're we're talking nuts and bolts craft from distance or interdimensional or whatever it's like the size of them is always curious to me it's like you know if you're if you're doing reconnaissance or something like that it's like well why would it be so big it's not like that thing's packed full of like 300 extraterrestrial passengers coming along for the mm. ride or something like that or is it a giant is it the like system? Laboratory, you know what I mean? Like, oh, totally. Yeah. Is there equipment for testing? Is it um, simply a case of 
they need that for like energy storage and conversion right. or like I'm not sure some something along those or lines. Or are they physically just that much larger in certain cases and it's like one guy hanging out in there. That's like one ship. It's like a solo ship. It's like, it's like a little one-seater car, except we see it as like a Boeing 747. That could be the case. Interestingly, another sort of comparable case is this Falcon Lake incident of 1967. So this was a case, a, a close encounter, where there was a single witness who um, witnessed a craft very similar shape. You get that sort of classic... Um, yeah, like the two pie plates kind of pushed together, like more of an oval, whatever. More of the saucer. More of a saucer. <laughs> there you go, saucer. I'm reluctant to use that term, but... Well, I, I just didn't even think of it. <laughs> That's a good term to use. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, so essentially he saw a craft descend and land yeah. in this Falcon Lake incident. He walked up to the craft and it was like emitting this like gross sulfury smell and it was really hot too. He ended up getting burned quite extensively when the craft took off again. By the exhaust. But essentially what he saw, I'm just like, I I was just, my memory was jogged by you saying like, what if there's just a single person? They're just really big. But essentially he actually got close enough to see an opening. It was like a a door-like aperture. And then within that he saw basically a huge array of lights. It was like a maze of lights. And then within that, he could hear two voices. One was significantly higher pitched than the other. And so there was definitely two beings in that craft and very, I think it was a very similar size too. I'm not going to say that's a positive, (laughs) but it was very similar shaped and very, um, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. A lot of similarities. Right. And again, this was near a water source. Right. And then, like you mentioned again earlier, we had the Maury Island incident above water, which is the same as this too. Mm-hmm. And so that's the question. It's like, what is up with that? I mean, in the Maury Island incident, we had this ejection of some sort of a, a clearly a spent substance, mm-hmm. like whether it was fuel residue or whatever. And yeah. we have other instances of UFOs uh, being witnessed sucking up water, even if it's not, not just fresh water, salt water too. Yeah. And that's bizarre. Yeah, but yeah, that Australian that, case was really weird. Yeah, I can't remember what strange. year that one was. Sorry, guys. Uh, That's I okay. I mean, all these kind of deserve their own episodes in and of themselves, but mm-hmm. but they're worth mentioning. Yeah, just to give context to this 1978 sighting. Exactly. There's another one I really wanted to mention here because it's close by, and there's a few of them here and there that I'm going to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of, and again, this deserves its own full episode, but it's because it's really famous. Another, uh, Canadian incident, the Shag Harbor UFO crash, which we actually did discuss. We did discuss it in um, minor detail. Yes. In our cross country paranormal checkup tour with double density. Yes. <laughs> or what did we call that? that? The great Canadian. Oh, what did we call Oh no, the great that? white North. Legends of the Great White North. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we covered a whole bunch of cool stuff on that episode. Yeah. So yeah, we touched on Shag Harbor. We'll probably eventually do a full episode on I it too. I would love to. But essentially what that was, was um, one of the most prolific accounts, definitely on the East Coast, if not the entire country of Canada, for sure. Mm-hmm. This was a decade earlier. So this is 1967, October 4th, shortly after 11 p.m., witnesses reported a UFO that was estimated about 60 feet in diameter. So, diameter. so this is that that shape that you were just describing like the saucer essentially right this Mm -hmm. is not the cigar shape hovering over the water and then they the people who witnessed this reported seeing the object basically just plunge into the water so four bright bright lights (laughs) flashed in a crash landing yeah essentially four bright lights flashed in a uniform pattern so that's kind of a similar that's that's another similarity too Mm -hmm. so after hovering for several minutes it tilted and quickly descended towards the water like almost on purpose Right. And so I think a lot of conspiracy theorists and sort of fringe people were thinking like, well, what, what, 
what's uh what's, what's at there? the bottom of this uh <laughs> yeah, at the bottom of the harbor. People like, believe there's underwater UFO bases all over the world. They do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, there's some reported all over, like, in the Gulf of um, Mexico. Absolutely. Off the coast of California, there was yeah. one I think we mentioned mm-hmm. in one of our earlier episodes. UFOs and water, they do mix. Definitely. <laughs> um, so that was just, yeah, unrelated, obviously, mm-hmm. but about a decade before. So this was in the public consciousness. And just the, the similarity here again, NORAD had no idea of the incident. Hmm. So or like, claim they had no idea of the answer. Claim they had no idea, mm-hmm. which is pretty curious, right? So, like, you have the Ministry of Defense and NORAD saying, wait, it, what? There was nothing in the sky. We didn't have anything on So there was, a, there was a bright flash and an explosion. What I was trying to picture in my head was like, okay, so this craft is going at, like, a 45-degree angle and into the water. Yeah. I'm, like, picturing it, like, you know when you have a really hot pan and you just pour water in it. Like I'm imagining like the steam rising from like the, the point of contact, but Mm -hmm. that didn't really seem to happen. It was literally an explosion. Yeah. But but there was no remnants left. All that was left when they went out there because they basically, they, there was first responders because they were right. Because they were responding to an emergency. Yeah. They thought Mm -hmm. it was an actual, yeah, like a plane crash or something. Mm -hmm. And all that was on the water from the brief scan I did, it was like a foam. Oh. It's like an orange foam or something like really? that. Really? So my question huh. with this is obviously is this is ten years before, very, very close by. Besides the water, like is there any connection here at all? I don't really know. We will never know. It's interesting. We'll never know. Then we've got a few more modern ones too. Mm-hmm. So there's another one in Newfoundland, nineteen eighty five at Gander Lake. And I kind of just pulled this as sort of a rough quote. <laughs> and I actually don't have the name of the gentleman. This was sort of seen as possibly a hoax, Mm -hmm. but there's some similarities to Clarenville. So I wanted to mention it. So basically it's, um, three brothers. Um, they were out fishing on, uh, yeah, on Gander Lake near Bear Cave Road, which is located behind Indian Bay, Newfoundland. So they're camped on the edge of the lake and it was just after dawn. The following morning, he gets up to head out for some early morning fish and he sees a large object hovering over the tree line about a kilometer away. Hmm. So it appeared to be about a hundred meters or more across so that's massive. So we're getting that's back into huge. the territory of the Clarenville object. Yeah. It reflected some sunlight, but it appeared to be dull coloration, mm. dull metallic. It remained motionless without making a sound. So okay. very similar. Mm-hmm. He went to alert his brother, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to skip over <laughs> some of this stuff because I'm getting to the similarities. Yeah. It remained motionless. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's still motionless. And then lo and behold, blue lights. So okay. it started flashing blue lights on either side of the object and then took away at a high velocity. <laughs> so Crazy. very, very similar, obviously, to a lot of UFOs. I love the way he ends this account. He says, to this day, I cannot get this experience out of my mind. Yeah. Because he can't explain it. Right. It's like, I'm driving you insane. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Definitely. <laughs> and then it just keeps happening. And so, I mean, there's definitely other reports through the later end of the 80s and the 90s and stuff. But, you know... We can't sit here all day. There's definitely some other ones. 2010, Harbor Mill, Newfoundland. This one's really weird. And I don't know if it's connected to Clarenville, but things kind of seem to happen over this area of Newfoundland. So Mm. Harbor Mill is just south of Clarenville. And multiple people on January 25th of 2010 reported seeing three objects, basically missile-like UFOs fly near their community. And one of the women um, who witnessed this was able to take a photograph of one of them and we'll have that up. We'll have the link in our sources and it's really weird. So they reported this to the RCMP that they had seen three missiles, quote, soaring over the ocean and it looked like they had come up and out of the water. 
So they didn't okay. have a right. So it's like another element of <laughs> this water. thing's coming up from underneath the water. Then okay, and then there was a report obtained from the Department of National Defense from the CBC, and this is a quote. The unidentified, the unidentified flying objects spotted in January off Newfoundland remain a mystery to the government, despite extensive scrutiny. According to the Department of National Defense, documents obtained by CBC, and these, talk, these documents do contain this grainy image of a rocket, they basically rule out missiles, model rockets, or anything alike as an explanation for the event. They, okay. they go on to say that D&Ds, uh, so the, what's this called? The Directorate of Scientific and Technical Intelligence assessed the images and basically said the object is not a ballistic missile, not a cruise missile in boost phase, nor a cruise missile in mid-flight phase. It is also not a licensed model rocket launcher. They can't, there's no explanation for it. So either someone was launching a rocket or multiple rockets out of their own barn, like they were like inspired by that. Like remember that movie that was that astronaut that was actually a farmer and he like builds a rocket in his barn? Yes, vaguely. What was that? <laughs> I can't remember. I think um, Matt Damon was in it, though. <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> anyway, that kind of reminds me of that. It definitely so... does. And then, of course, NORAD <gasps> so was they... unaware. Okay, so NORAD's unaware. Was there anything ever recovered? Like, no. as far as... No? So, no, no material. Nothing ever recovered. NORAD said in a statement they had no idea that it was even in their airspace at all, and they are the ones responsible for monitoring that airspace. So, mm-hmm. essentially, it was up to the RCMP who were left to comment, and they just stated that it was left as an unidentified sighting because there was nothing more to go on. Hmm. Or at least so they say from NORAD and the Ministry of National Defense. So that happened in 2010, hey? And then you get six years later, another incident in Harbor Mill. Yes. And this was reported to CBC, actually, a woman by the name of Darlene Stewart. She spotted an object coming out of the ocean while she was taking pictures of the sunset at Harbor Mill. And this was in September. Yep. So... We're getting multiple sightings of the same phenomena. In the fall. In the fall. So October, September, whatever. So it's, this is close to the same time and close to the same area as Clarenville. What are... That's clearly something's interested in this area. Whether it's just know, for the right? water or for other things that are located beneath the surface or beneath the soil and or you what. Can't, you can't just explain that away as a sighting of Jupiter in the sky. Because like even if it is, like that does correspond to what... Um, the upper atmosphere people said yeah. as like those are like the months that you would see it yeah um but you know what's interesting too <laughs> same year 2016 february february so we're yep. not in that fall range anymore right there was another sighting in clarenville really yeah and uh i thought this was super interesting there wasn't too much to go on with this but there was an article um oh shoot i can't remember the news outlet that actually reported on this off the top of my head but essentially this guy named chad haynes saw a ufo hovering in the night sky for several hours he claimed that it zigzagged up and down before shooting off just like what blackwood witnessed and also what was witnessed with charlie red star on several occasions where he would just literally there's almost like they're powering up and then then just boom so the question is is like is that the same craft right is it this? Yeah. Is there, are there multiple crafts? Is it the same? What if this is Charlie in a different neck of the woods? <laughs> uh, yeah. Because Charlie actually too, he would change shapes. He would be seen as like a rectangle. He would change from a rectangle into a ball, into a disc. Like it was like kind of crazy and a lot more fluid. Right. Which was like, it's like, is that like a mirage? Is he like projecting something? Could you imagine? Okay. This is an interesting thought. What if 
everything that we see that's like a UFO is actually a simple projection from another object that's not visible in the sky. That's a distraction from what the actual object's <laughs> doing. Because they're always doing these weird things and like True. almost just like just so erratic and so unexplainable it, and irrational. Well, clearly it's a good distraction. But essentially, I don't even know. That's no, just that's my an, little... No, that's a... Hey, it, <laughs> it's all open there. for interpretation, right? So let's just say like I just... This UFO sighting back in the 70s had a huge impact on the community of Clarenville. Definitely. They named their hockey team the UFOs after this happened. Yeah, the Clarenville UFOs. And they basically, they're riding on it, like, as far as tourism and stuff. So, good for them, I guess. But, like, at the same time, like, I'm not going to say that um, that um, takes away from any of the... um, reliability of the no definitely not because i don't think that really came to be until you know a little after yeah until it had time to sink in exactly and kind of become more of a mainstream thing yeah. where you're gonna name your hockey team after it you know what i mean <laughs> um because people like even go, to go back to charlie like people didn't take it seriously in the 70s not really right it didn't it wasn't until later and, it, and until very recently with grant cameron's book that the story even really came out there definitely were people that did take it seriously especially that one family that lost about what was it like 150 head of horses okay yeah, unexplained right. and that could be a totally different unrelated crime or anything like that but you know like yeah there was very few you're right the majority of people they gave him the nickname charlie and they were like you know what man that's just good old Red ball in the sky that comes every night on his little beer run. Yeah, it just became this uh, normal thing. Mm -hmm. We're kind of migrating into our theories and thoughts section now. And I mean, we've, we've, we've gone through stuff throughout the episode here, like what we think, more or less. But I was trying to find things that this could possibly be, be connected to. Like when I was trying to come up with theories and stuff, I was like, you know, why, why over Random Island? Why Newfoundland? And we did, we gave these other examples in the area, Nova Scotia and harbor mill Mm -hmm. but in the exact same year there was a few other events um totally disparate locations in the world okay but i'm just going to mention them anyway just for sake of conversation Mm because it's kind of interesting there was one really famous case that happened just six days prior to the clarenville sighting Mm -hmm. and this was the disappearance of an australian pilot 20 year old by the name of frederick valentich so this was october 21st 1978 he was flying a Cessna 182-liter light aircraft and was a, allegedly a moderately experienced pilot. He had about 150-plus hours of flying time. Mm-hmm. But this is interesting because it's similar to, like, the Felix Moncla. So he's flying. He radios into the Melbourne Flight Service to report an unidentified aircraft following him at around 4,500 feet. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little bit higher than the top point of the Clarenville craft. Mm-hmm. The service told him that there was nothing in the air. There's no traffic near him at the time, but he insisted that he could see this large unknown craft near him, which appeared to have four bright landing lights, oh. all illuminated as he passed by it as and it was about a hundred feet, of, sorry, a thousand feet above him as it mm-hmm. ma- passed over at a high rate of speed. Okay. So for about another few minutes, he kept reporting the aircraft's movements, still did no confirmation of this on the radar. He claimed, quote, it was orbiting him. Ooh, that is so similar. Weird, right? Well, we saw those same um, sort of descriptions put forth by the pilots, right? In the Charlie um, Red Star yes. UFO case. Yes. Where it was the same thing, yeah. Where they're orbiting, there's non-ballistic motions, they're like jetting out in front of them and then literally not even stopping, but just completely, ju- they're just turned around going the opposite way in less than a microsecond kind of yeah. thing. 
that's crazy yeah. orbiting and then again yeah like i'm oh, sorry i'm no, so no, many things no, it's okay. with charlie right where i mentioned right where there would be smaller craft like orbiting the main craft going in yes. like these um yeah like these sort of figure eight patterns right. so mm-hmm. so there's a similarity to charlie which mm-hmm. is very very close canadian connection to the clarenville yeah. incident just a year after the similarities with this one of course this is way over in australia but it happened six days six days before same year 1978 there he described it as metallic but in this case it was not so dull it was more of a typically shiny metallic metallic cover but still metal so i don't know if you can call it a similarity Mm. and then the lights on the side yeah the lights too so i don't know i mean i'm not saying there's a connection i'm just saying that this is happening at roughly the same time and i find that interesting another notable ufo event event from 1978 was the alleged abduction of a polish man by the name of jan walowski this is like one of the most famous abduction cases in Poland, oh. and this happened in May of 1978. So not in the fall, but same year. Just thought it was worth mentioning because I was just search, search, searching 1978. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What is there any connections here? Like, what can I find?" So that was interesting. So he claimed to be straight up abducted, similar shaped craft. But yeah, 1978, not a bad year for some UFO stuff. You got Charlie, you got this, you got Valentich, you got Clarenville, you got lots of stuff going on. That's fascinating. I yeah. just had to quickly look up um, when Felix Monkla actually disappeared, and that was quite a bit earlier. It was uh, 50... 53. Yeah. And that's so crazy. I'm sorry, I'm still trying to wrap my head yeah. around that one. Yeah, strange, right? So he just disappeared. Vanished. His craft was never found, he was never they found. They just assumed he had that he had, yeah, that he had crashed into the ocean and uh, lost. And now, of course, that deserves its own, uh, again, that's another one, should have its whole own episode, and we'll dig deeper when we get around to that. Mm-hmm. But I was just very fascinated by this, the the closeness in time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I have to, I have to break it down. Well, okay. I just want to ask you, like, yeah. what are your concluding thoughts on this case? So my concluding thoughts are that I think Jim Blackwood is completely genuine in his sighting mm-hmm. and that he wasn't embellishing or not qualified enough to make that identification. So mm-hmm. there's clearly, a, a, yeah, an extraterrestrial object, whether it's... Unidentified, yeah. Unidentified. I mean, it's could not... Could be terrestrial origins. Just not human origins. Right. Could be terrestrial, yeah, well, for sure. it could be of human origins too. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I mean, but that's just it. So I'm so fascinated by the no doors, no windows, no noticeable seams or bolts or... The you know porous I mean? this surfaces. Is not a yeah, porous surface. It's like, I'm almost of the mind that this is a entity in and of itself. Oh, you're going to go cryptozoological on not, me? No, not cryptozoological, but I'm, I, don't, I don't even know. The surface and the texture of it is so different than other UFO descriptions we've looked at and heard mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that this is something completely different. It's like a giant concrete ball floating in the air. It's like, how is that possible? Hmm. I'm not sure. That's... I'm really not sure what to make of this one, to be honest with you. <laughs> what about you? Like, Where are you at? <laughs> I'm definitely on the same page as you as far as my opinion on Blackwood. I def- I just don't think he would... He just doesn't seem like the type of person that would just fabricate this and then just live with it for the rest of his life, too. You know what I mean? And yeah. just... Anyways. If anything, I feel like he would have written a book if he really wanted to like, capitalize totally. on it. But I... I am of the mind... I'm, I'm, I'm still torn between thinking that this could be nuts and bolts craft or this could be some sort of interdimensional entity or being or craft or, or reconnaissance of some kind or yeah, like a some craft sort of, for that. yeah what if it's I, a, a autonomous sort of craft that's just kind of being sent as a probe um 
you know, like, just, like, the classic, like, sci-fi where it's, like, we're going to send probes to every single planet in this universe and see what comes back. Well, we just posted an article on our Facebook group recently about the idea of a probe passing by Earth. There being that sort of cigar shaped. And then we had a friend comment on it and be like, that looks like a giant space doobie. And it kind of did. But uh, yeah, like that's the shape of a potential alien probe. So potentially that's what this could be. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm keeping open. I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit uh, agnostic and uncertain, but I, yeah, I'm treading that line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to hear what you guys have to have to say. Yeah. Very, very curious. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this was a this was an interesting story because it's not there's no trace evidence, there's no abduction, there's no, no. you're we're only given the basics, but it yes. still became this big thing. And I, know. I think that's so fascinating. It is interesting. And it is a very simple story too, because you don't get a lot of a lot of like aftermath like you do get with some other UFO cases where it's say like the men in black show sure. up and present yeah. a whole new set of variables. Yeah. Um the only thing I could think of that would be remotely conspiratorial would be perhaps the missing photos if they actually existed, if they were even worth anything, if they were just literally depicting the night sky and you can't even see anything. Right. So that to me is an area of, you know, it's a little bit uh, blurry, but yeah. Uh, interesting though. Yeah, very. Mm-hmm. If anyone else has any information on this case that we haven't um, discussed, we would love to hear what you have to say. Um, you can always get at us at into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. And we're also always active on our socials. Hey, Andrew, we are into the portal uh, one on Twitter. Yep. And, and at, at into the portal podcast on Instagram and uh, add into the portal podcast on Facebook. Click the group, come join it. Yeah. Chat about UFOs. Um, yeah. And we've also got. I just wanted to, like we said, we were going to announce what film we were going to do for this right. film Friday. Yes. And we did decide on The Void. The vo- Okay. The well, Void. And <laughs> she's like, oh, you decided on The Void. <laughs> okay. No, I'm cool with it. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. The Void it is. I guess. No, I mean, hey, that's... Uh... That's right on the uh, right on the right on topic. We got a schedule, okay? Yeah, <laughs> um, but we actually haven't seen this movie yet, so we are going to be mo- viewing this for the first time this week. Yeah, and we're excited to talk about it. So Definitely. yeah, look forward to an all new film Friday happening this week. Absolutely. And, and then until next Sunday, we'll be back with a brand new episode. Sounds good. the wee hours of the morning of October 27th because the sighting occurred at approximately...